0: So today I have Dimitri Economo with me on the podcast. Welcome to Terranalias Dimitri. Oh,
1: thank you for having me.
0: <laughs> thank you for coming. Um, I've known you for some time. 10 years, I, uh, something ten years, like that. Yeah, oh, look, when we were children. 10 years. We were children 10 years ago, right? Like, <laughs>
1: Oh, I most definitely, I mean,
0: what am I now? Yeah, just, yes, yeah, 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 definitely yeah, yeah, yeah. 10 years ago. No no one can see us, so we're children 10 years ago, we've just <laughs> passed adolescence. <And laughs> but no, I mean, I first met you properly when you did your Green Line uh, work Um Tell us a little bit about that. Remind me me exactly what I saw, because it's been a few years now. Oh,
1: that was a really fun project. Um, Well, I'll tell you the whole story. Well, essentially, first of all, it's a VR film Mm -hmm. shot in the buffer zone. The point of the project was for posterity's purposes and to raise awareness, to take VR film, 360 film of the buffer zone. So we went to two villages in the Bafos area of the buffer zone up in the mountains, and we also went to the airport in Nicosia. Mm-hmm. And the project started because my friends and I all came back from our studies in the middle of a recession and uh, we wanted to make ourselves useful, basically. We didn't know what we wanted to do. We knew it had to do with the buffer zone, for sure. And around that same time, Google had organized a conference in the north uh, and a friend of mine, one of the members of the team, went to that conference, was introduced to VR technology back at the day. It was not even proper headsets yet. Mm-hmm. It was a cardboard box that you put your phone into, and then you put it over your ah, eyes. Gotcha, you, yep. And concurrently, people were doing some amazing filming on the uh, with VR, and one of the films that we saw was a UN-sponsored uh, film called Clouds Over Sidra showing mm-hmm. um, uh, refugee camps in Syria. And... What we realized is VR, we don't know exactly how the technology is gonna progress, but we do know for sure that one of the things that it's good at is immersing you in a space. Yep. The space in which we wanted to be immersed as Cypriots was the buffer zone, which started the process, which included, first of all, approval from the UN forces in Cyprus, as well as you know, finding the equipment and learning how to use the equipment, learning how to stitch VR films. So back in the day, it was 10 GoPros in a in a makeshift 3D printed rig. And then you would have to manually stitch the film from all 10 of the GoPros into one unified 360 image. So we had to learn how to do that. Mm-hmm. And with the incredibly generous support of the University of Nicosia, who was doing groundbreaking stuff, which was doing groundbreaking stuff in VR as well as uh, AI, um and they still are bitcoin blockchain mm-hmm. uh we pitched the project to them and they were very enthusiastic and so they provided most of the financial and technical support for this project and of course with the help of UNFICYP Yunfikip to enter uh we entered the buffer zone filmed it we premiered it at the Cannes Next Festival, which is the Emerging Technologies part of Cannes Film Festival. Mm-hmm. And then we sent it to, I don't know how many film festivals, it won a bunch of awards. It was a great adventure. It was a lot of fun. So
0: you guys were what I would call the techie hipsters of uh, Cyprus at the, the time. Tipsters? The, sure. Tipsters? Sure. <laughs> the tipsters? The tipsters? Sure. Have you just made that up now? H- which yeah. you?
1: <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah, tipsters. the tipsters.
0: Tech hippies, hipsters, hi- tech hipsters. Okay, that's pretty cool. So, okay, so the, the Cannes Next Awards. I didn't. Uh, uh, first of all, that's pretty cool. I didn't. Really it was like a
1: it. lot of fun. Uh, we entered as part of the Cyprus booth, if uh-huh. I'm not mistaken. So the Ministry of Culture offered us a lot of support as well, and we went with them, mm-hmm. and we represented Cyprus, and that's where we premiered. And then we had our Cyprus premiere at Levendis Gallery, yep. and then continued to show it in Cyprus during the Cyprus Film Days, the Lemmasos. Mm-hmm. And it was a wonderful success, uh, unfortunately, at the time it and still to this day it's very difficult to receive production funding for these types of projects. Yeah. and we all ended up finding our own jobs and While it was a wonderful project to do, it requires so much time and effort that yeah. we had to you know put it on pause for a while and not make many more films mm-hmm. until recently i uh, I heard about uh, the Ithaca Department at Science Center of Excellence, who are doing work on the Green Line. Science, right? Science, yep. C-Y-E-N-S. Um, and I applied to do a residency there, mm-hmm. and I got accepted. It's a wonderful program. Hopefully, it will be the renaissance of this buffer this buffer zone project that we're doing, or in some way, uh, they'll dovetail into something nice together.
0: Has it's already started, or is this a... Uh...
1: Well... I uh, started in the mid-October. Uh-huh. It's, um, it's it's a residency program. I come and go as I please. <laughs> so whenever I have free time, they're incredibly helpful. They're doing great work. Yeah. And uh, they're focusing their work on the Green Line in Nicosia. Mm-hmm. They entered and they took some 360 photography. Mm-hmm. And that's the, one of the bases of their source material for making a virtual space in which researchers, artists, scientists, architects can come together and do work on the buffer zone and the Cyprus problem in general. So This is quite yeah.
0: fascinating because uh, I've only just entered the VR world myself um, mm-hmm. with a partner of mine in British Columbia, Canada. Oh, wow. Yeah, we're creating um, VR of museums of hard to get to touristic sites or UNESCO sites. Um, to give you an example, there's a UNESCO site in Chad, Africa, which we know that most people aren't going to get to in their lifetime. Mm-hmm. But um, by creating the VR experience of this place, mm-hmm. somebody in Cyprus or in Vancouver or in Melbourne can um you know pop on the vr headsets and go visit these places Mm -hmm. you know from next to me yeah
1: yeah it's really cool
0: um but but these are these are places that are inaccessible inaccessible because of cost or whatever but as you know the buffers are in something that's inaccessible to most people so you're basically yeah so you're you're bringing it to the common day person
1: that was the idea Mm -hmm. and uh first of all before i forget uh, there's another department at science that's doing fantastic work that you might want to meet with called Museum Lab. Mm-hmm. And they did an incredibly innovative project on the Leather Palace Hotel. Yeah, that, that was marvelous. It, it was
0: fantastic. I mean, Leather Palace actually is quite close to my heart because that's where my grandparents on my mother's side met. And we're going to talk about we're that at talk some about point that later. At another time. <laughs> <laughs> As I started saying that, I'm like, no, you already know this. <laughs> <Yeah>. Yes, yes. <laughs> But yeah, no, no, the, the, the Leader Palace project was fantastic. I mean, I just I was so oh of well, smacked by it.
1: AR, yeah. AI technologies, yeah. everything that they used to synthesize the information that they had into mm. a compelling narrative are yeah. things that I would hope that I would be able to do with my science residency. We'll see. Okay. Um, but returning to what you mentioned earlier, um, yes, that was the whole point and the main reason why we did the film. Because... um. <sighs> As Cypriots, it's just, I don't know, especially for our generation who have no recollection of what a unified Cyprus looks like. Mm-hmm. It's barely even a conceptual hypothesis for us. So it's like, talking about unification, we don't even know what that would look like.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, an extension of that is we have no idea what some parts of our country even look like. Correct. And uh, there are a lot of people... Who used to know what it looked like and haven't been able to see it. Mm-hmm. So, one of the most rewarding parts of the experience of making this film was when we had our premiere at Levendi's Gallery. Um, there were two villages that we filmed, Selemani and Varisha. Mm-hmm. And people who used to live there, not many, like two or three people came and they got to see the film. And they were crying in their headsets. And for us, it was just, it, it, it felt like we, I mean, we were kids. 26, 27.
0: I didn't realize you did Varisha because I've got a cousin that her father's side of the family is from Varisha. I wish I had known. In Baphos?
1: Well, I still have the film. Yeah. I'd be more than happy to show it to them. It would be as rewarding for me as it would be for them, I'm sure.
0: Okay. No, we'll do that. Yeah. So, what year was that again? There's always this pre COVID and
1: post COVID. It was pre well COVID. Well and truly before COVID. It wasn't well and truly before COVID. We began the project in 2015. By the time we were able to, because first of all, in 2015, VR was such a new technology. We were attempting to explain the film to the UN forces and the Press Information Office, and yeah. they couldn't seem to understand what we wanted to do. Yeah. So it was a back and forth with very helpful people Mm -hmm. who were very, but like, they were like, we don't know what you're trying to do. So we're rejecting your proposal. Mm -hmm. So we went back to them and we said, look, we understand and we get it. You don't understand that you don't understand. So why don't you reject us in person? And so when we went to the PIO offices and we showed them the clouds over sidra Sidra film actually as an example of what we would like to do they were so enthusiastic and so helpful but my point is it took us a long time to actually even get in it took us two and a half years from conception to filming and then another year or so of because we all did it ourselves and we're not film we were architects and artists and uh actually we were the ideal group of people. Because we had people who were very uh, well-versed in business who helped us, and then we had people who were well-versed in architecture, and architecture with 3D technologies and AutoCAD and stuff like that, mm-hmm. fantastic, and um, people in tech and... Um, myself for the narrative i guess
0: i get that but for most of you it would have been a steep learning curve as well
1: it was and as such i want to shout out the rest of the team if that's okay oh, please
0: please no um, means
1: Ioannis becciaris and alexis mavros took care of the technical portion and they were amazing it's an amazing first of all one thing that they did which was really interesting is they said the technology um is still going to keep evolving yeah And we're going to film at a definition much higher than the capacity of any of the VR headsets. So now there are uh, VR headsets that are uh, capable of showing in Ultra HD or HD that weren't able to, you weren't able to do that back in the day, but they had the foresight to film in such a manner that the new headsets, um, can support the resolution and are, every time you watch the film now with new technology, it looks better and better and better because they were smart enough to foresee that that would happen. And then we had Stelios Aletraris and Stavros Jaralambos helping with the business aspect. Mm-hmm. And then the musicians, Manos Tradis, who's now a member of the Monsieur Dimani trio. And ah, the, he's okay. great. And, uh, yes. uh Eva they mm-hmm. did the music and it's fantastic. Yeah. And that was the team. And, uh, what I did is I wrote the narrative and I tried to help with everything production. Uh, and stuff like that. Yeah.
0: That's a good team there. So, oh my I mean, god! Yeah, we were very lucky. I know them. Was yes, fantastic. Yes. So now, coming fast forward to today, you said that you have this um, artist in residence uh, with the science. What exactly do you foresee you achieving with that? I mean, I know I'm throwing the. I'm throwing <laughs> Buddy, there.
1: I wish I could answer. <laughs> At this particular moment, uh, I'm in the research mm-hmm. portion. I'm hoping what, what science has right now is a wealth of material that they've collected, including 360 photography and film within the buffers, within the green line and research. And I'm hoping whatever I end up doing will synthesize all that material into a narrative that evokes emotion. Mm -hmm. That's the goal. Having said that, there are so many projects that deal with the green line or deal with the buffer zone or deal with reunification or deal with the trauma that we're still processing what am i going to add to the conversation especially to a conversation that in my particular opinion is one that we're avoiding and we're avoiding it because not because it's not something we don't want to solve but because we need to get on with our lives on an everyday level there are far more pressing issues and it's something that we try to put to the edge of our minds every day. So to create an art project that brings that to the foreground of your attention again, it has to, it can't be something that just digs up past trauma again, which mm-hmm. is what a lot of the work around this does. Yeah. And I'm at this particular moment grappling with how to create a narrative that isn't just scratching at a scab.
0: Also, you got to remember that the people that have the scabs, uh, not scars be, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah well they, they're not going to be with us for much longer I mean it's already been fifty years mm-hmm. since the last conflict,
1: so it's absolutely correct yeah. and um for the people that will be watching this um they were either children during the invasion, so don't necessarily have a real memory of what a unified Cyprus might look like. Mm-hmm. And also been living with it for so long. It's like if your parents get divorced when you're six months old, yeah. you wouldn't know what a married family would look like. So you have no trauma of the event. You just yeah. know the reality of the current situation and it's fine for you. I feel like well, they
0: drummed into you.
1: Sure, but I feel like that's what we're living. Like the reality of the current situation doesn't necessarily hold the same trauma for someone of my generation.
0: Well, I think someone of your generation, I'd like to believe I'm still on the upper end. You are, of our generation. I'm I'm, I'm in the upper end of that generation. You're at the lower (laughs) end. I'll give you that. But I think the difference in our rhetoric is the previous generation was all about the scars and the need to heal or whatever. And I think that I would be at the cusp of the needing to heal and the needing to move on. And then your end of the generation and the next generation will be talking about what does a reunified island look like? Because we no longer remember what a previous unified island looked like. Mm -hmm. We're not even anymore with the people that lived the conflict and the scars of that. So we're now the next modern generation of people that are living today and looking forward to tomorrow. So what are they looking for? What You know, we're no longer talking about healing wounds because there's people with wounds that don't exist anymore. Exactly. I mean, I'm not saying they're all gone. I'm, we're dealing we're
1: with, with second-generation and third-generation trauma now at this point. Yes,
0: and the, and the trauma, unfortunately, has been passed on. It has uh, to, uh, yes. yes. It, but it's been passed on in, in a very ambiguous, and I would say in a very negative way, um, where it's been indoctrinated into us and whatnot. So it's not even... I don't want to diminish this in any way, but for those that are born after the war, it's almost a false trauma. It's a trauma that we take on to re- represent our
1: a hundred percent. And that's yeah. what I was going to add to the first yeah. list of things that you said. Exactly that. Yeah. That for our generation, it's everything you said, and it's also spending some sometimes years sifting through what the truth and the propaganda that was drummed into us. Mm-hmm. There seems to be, uh, I remember at least from my time in grade school, uh, not a lot of responsibility being put on the Greek recipients for the current situation. Mm-hmm. And being needing to realize what the reality of the situation was and how different it is from what we were taught or told. Yep. And so we're dealing with sifting Through that, in our minds, coming to terms with it, understanding what that means in terms of what our government is and what they've Mm -hmm. done, and in terms of understanding that when it comes to victims, really, objectively, the largest, the most, it's not that it's a competition, but Mm -hmm. Turkish Cypriots were hurt far more living in a country that's not recognized for so many years by the situation as it stands. and We're dealing with that still. And there's all these ideas also for, like, a high-minded solution and how we need to solve the problem when the reality of the situation is actually far more pedestrian. Mm-hmm. And I'm realizing it now uh, as part of the job I actually have as an educational officer at the CVAR Museum. My job is to uh, do museum tours for kids, essentially. And some of the things I hear coming out of kids' mouths... Yeah. um regarding what a Turkish Cypriot is versus what a Greek Cypriot is and all that stuff. Dealing with these very basic misconceptions come far before any type of solution. And I was speaking with someone who is in peace building work in the north, and he said, before any solution, why aren't we teaching Turkish to Greek Cypriot kids? And why aren't we teaching Greek to Turkish Cypriot kids? So we can at least communicate in a language that isn't a third language of the other. Because when we're talking to Turkish Cypriots, Um, it's in English. And so we're both foreigners in that exchange in a weird way. We're neither of us are Cypriots in that exchange. So we're not even connecting in the way that we should, even if we want to. Can
0: I, I just want to jump in there because with someone I was talking with recently. What you just spoke about the language as being a third language, so two parties speaking a foreign language to each other. We then jump over to the diaspora. Oh, and, yeah. and then you've got Greek and Turkish Cypriots in Melbourne or London, for example, that their mother tongue is English. Mm-hmm. The difference in the conversation between that Greek Cypriot and that Turkish Cypriot and diaspora in English is where you start understanding the importance of mother tongue, mm-hmm. the importance of knowing each other's tongue. Because there, the conversation flows so much quicker, and faster, and more efficiently.
1: Mm-hmm. You say what you want to say.
0: Yes, and you get your message across, you get your nuances across much easier. Mm-hmm. But here and there, to be fair, most of us speak English. We're pretty good in English. I mean, it'd be hard, it'd be hard to find a youth that's not good at English mm. or at least to the point of being able to have a discussion. Mm. But to actually have an in-depth discussion mm. slash negotiation slash rapprochement, you need to understand each other's
1: language. To yeah, and but, but Yeah, exactly that. And to your point, if... If you can't say what you want to say. Yeah. I mean, come on.
0: Think about when you're talking with your Greek Cypriot friends that know English. How often do you flip between the two languages to get your exact message
1: across? Oh, I flip between the two languages, and it's one of the things that unifies us as Greek Cypriots. Mm. So, for instance, uh, Cyprus, you know, irrespective of what people told us that we're Greek Cypriots, we're everything. Yeah. So I, my friends, some of their parents are uh, Lebanese, some of their parents are Armenian, some of their parents are French, German, English, yeah. and it's all a mix. And the way we speak to each other, first of all, in a dialect, mm-hmm. a dialect in which we alternate between languages a lot of the time, yeah. is what unifies us. Yeah. In a way, and it's very special to Cyprus because it doesn't matter what you look like really, truly. If you open your mouth and Cypriot Greek comes out yeah. with a little mix of English, it's a signifier that you're one of us.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And it's a very strong signifier and it's, um, it's beautiful, actually. Yeah. And it's something that we can't share with Turkish Cypriots. And Turkish Cypriots can't share with us. Because we don't speak Turkish and they don't speak Greek, or at least Cypriot Greek. And that immediate bond is much more uh, vital towards any type of unification. It doesn't even need to be a governmental unification, but yeah. just a unification of the two sides again.
0: Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that um, how we can bond faster with foreigners that have become Cypriots. Yeah. Migrants that have become Cypriots, workers that have become Cypriots who have lived here for a long time versus Turkish Cypriots that have been here for over 500 years are as as Cypriot as Armenians, Latins, and Maronites according to the constitution. Yes. And yet, yeah, we have this uh, communication. I really
1: think it has to do with the language thing. Yeah. I really do.
0: Unless you got both parties to the point of fluent English, like in the diaspora.
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: Although, uh, either is not going to happen in soon. No. Tell me... um, to lighten, the, to lighten the discussion a little bit because uh, the side prob is something that everyone, as much as they love hearing it, uh, I think we're being um, side-problemed out. Oh, my God. I'm a,
1: I mean, to be perfectly honest with you, that's one of the biggest problems is that we're all exhausted.
0: We're, we're side problem. <laughs> the side prob fatigue is real. Yeah. It's real. It's a burnout. I mean, <laughs> I, am, I, am, I am fed up of talking about highways or hospitals or education or me, uh, the environment. And before you know it, you're talking about the Cyprus problem.
1: And banging your head against the wall again.
0: Yeah, and, it, and it's almost like a get-out-of-jail-card-free for a lot of politicians and um, NGO heads. Like, oh, we can't do this because of the Cyprus problem. You know,
1: it, you know what's interesting? It's a lot like... Everything goes back to the buffer zone for me. But every yeah. conversation hits this bricked wall. Or yeah. for for this visual metaphor, this barbed wire fence. The road just stops there. Yep. Yeah. And it's like, okay... Now what? Please ignore the barbed wire fence. (laughs) Rinse and repeat. Exactly. Rinse and repeat. This is the
0: politics of Cyprus for me. The last 50 years has been rinse and repeat. So... But yeah, look, I want to talk a little bit about you more now. Okay. Like, um, let, let, let's, let's detract from Cyprus. I, <laughs> okay. I, I know that you're also a fellow dad. It's one of the reasons why I've um, seen less
1: of you over the last few years. because Oh, been my a God. <laughs> <there>. <laughs> so tell me, you, you, you have a child. I have one daughter. You a have a wonderful little daughter, me. little Georgia. She's six and a half. Yeah.
0: Six and a half already. Yeah, yeah. And how many years of your life has that taken from you?
1: <laughs> oh, my God. Look. I'm going to be honest with you, uh, um, She, her mother and I don't live together, so I don't see her as often as a father in a couple would, mm-hmm. so fewer years than you, because I get days <laughs> of rest in the in-between. Um, but yeah, but my situation was a little bit different, and it wasn't the child per se that was stressful, but the fact that it was with someone that, you know, we weren't going to be a couple.
0: Yeah. Okay. So your, your relationship ended Yeah. But at the end of the day, you have this beautiful product, your child.
1: <laughs> she is a and beautiful I, product. I know how sure. much you love her. I know how much
0: <laughs> And look, and, and for, any, for those listening, I, I should describe Dimitri to you. This is this very good looking fit man, not a single gray hair in his hair, on his head.
1: Yeah, maybe one. <laughs> I mean,
0: w- may- maybe one. It's hidden by the headphones. I'm clearly offended and jealous of this. <laughs> but, um, look, look, kudos to you. Um, what do you feel a- as a father, as a father now? Like, I know that you, you know, you, you have your struggles, obviously, um, with the, with the relationship of the, the two parents of the, of Georgia. Um, How does being a father, how has that changed your perception of the world? How has it changed who you are as a person, how you see the world around you, how you interact with the world? What has
1: it done to you? Oh, man. Well, it forces you to do a lot of things. And um, in taking instinctively, you want to... Take care of your child to the best of your ability and that includes a lot of things and it includes like i'm not gonna yell at this kid ever i made a decision i'm not gonna yell at this kid ever um, i'm not gonna want her to be ever to be afraid of me i want her to make fun of me i want her to think of me as someone who is safe i want her to be able to joke around with me and be herself with me and i want her to see me as someone Not necessarily who's going to tell her what to do, but as someone who's been here longer and maybe has some good advice.
0: That's a good one. Somebody who has some good advice to help her navigate. Yeah, she's safe.
1: I'll take care of her to the extent that she needs me to take care of her because she's six. I mean, obviously, someone has to help until we get our feet underneath underneath Mm -hmm. us. But I'm not going to tell her what to do. And I'm saying that because... Not getting angry and not losing my patience and trying to really understand what this kid is trying to tell me and what this kid is really thinking is a skill that I had to develop because I had kids and it immediately translates to every other part of your life. By wanting the best for your kid, you ha- you have learn to take care of yourself more and you have to in order to be the best you can for your kid. So that's the biggest thing for me.
0: How do you keep your... Dad temper
1: in check oh i think uh first of all she's a great kid it's not hard and second of all i have her three days in a row max so if i can't keep my temper for three days in a row i mean come on (laughs) so (laughs) just to be just to contextualize it i'm not so like just so people i mean like you have your kids Mm -hmm. you have more kids and you have them every day Mm-hmm. It's a much more difficult task for you when you're tired or hungry or da, 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 to be able to keep your temper. So sure, like
0: you, you get to release the pressure valve every few days, whatever, as opposed to yeah, go
1: just... go lie in bed for like five hours in the fetal position and <laughs> or scream into a pillow, and <laughs> yeah, you get to sleep in. I get to sleep in. That's just amazing. I it is. I'm going. I'm fully aware that I got the deluxe package when it comes to parenthood.
0: Yeah. Yes, and no. I mean, like, yes, you, and you, you, no. you do have. It comes at a cost. I mean, you don't get to see her every. Oh my, day
1: and i i can't believe how much i miss her oh, so believe me. i i yesterday mm-hmm. i was having a bad day and i couldn't figure out why um from a personal perspective things are going great for once and i couldn't and then my kid came over for dinner because she comes every wednesday And immediately, whatever it was that was bothering me went away, and I went, Oh, I miss my kid. I'm lonely.
0: You know what? I'm going to, I just want to jump in. For those listening that don't have kids, the closest thing I can compare it to is that when you first fall in love and have a girlfriend or boyfriend or partner, whatever. It's a lot of the same
1: feelings. Yeah.
0: It's when the world can be tumbling down, but when you're with your other half, suddenly everything feels okay. Yeah. There's a bit of that with the kids. Like I will never forget. I will never forget the feeling when Thalia was born, my oldest. I remember in the lead up to it, it was chaos at work. It was chaos in the world. The Syria was erupting. I mean, like I was working on so many different things. But the day she was born, mm. I didn't care whatsoever what was happening around me. That's
1: a gift that the kids give you. Yeah, yeah.
0: and you suddenly realize that this is all that matters it doesn't matter like and all the trivial stuff you ignore it but and this is the big but as you grow into being a parent because it doesn't happen overnight you grow into it
1: oh Yeah, and you learning learning
0: Yes, (laughs) and I can tell you now that my parents are probably listening. Are still learning, and they have a lot to learn still.
1: (laughs) I will say that my parents are as well, and Mm -hmm. also I'm pleasantly surprised to see them learning. They're doing great.
0: I'm surprised you say that because I know your mother, and your mother is marvelous and perfect, and I don't want to um, take. She's so great. She's amazing, (laughs) and uh, yeah, she is.
1: And so is my dad, and they split up. Yeah, and that was difficult for a lot of years, but what made me lucky. Is that it took a while, mm-hmm. but th- they were able to listen, to like to understand and to grow with me.
0: How old were they when they? How old were you? Sorry. When oh you man, listened?
1: I was. just finished high school. Okay. okay. So Very, a tough
0: time. It a was. Time. It
1: was hard because it was different for me because um, we traveled a lot. Mm-hmm. It wasn't good. It wasn't bad. It was both. It was great and and, and but it was different. Yeah. And, and one of the things that's different is your support system mm-hmm. is you guys. You yeah. understand what I mean? So we're going to move, and then we're going to move again, and the only consistency is us three. We're making these sacrifices together. We're yeah. a team, and we're doing them for a reason. Mm-hmm. So when they split up, and it was just the three of us two, I'm an only child, they never were settled down long enough to have another kid. I mean, I switched 10 schools at some point in 10 years. Um, when they split up, that was the hardest part for me was that it's like, okay, well, now I'm thoroughly unmoored because I didn't live anywhere long enough to develop roots and stuff like that. And um, now what? Um, I had a girlfriend at the time and when we broke up, it all came crashing down because then when there was nothing. But the point to what I'm saying is, it was that you learn constantly as parents. And even though I had reached, for every legal purpose, adulthood when I turned 19, they realized... Thankfully that they still had a little bit of parenting to do yeah. and that never stops and they're continuously helping and his grandparents they're fantastic and I hope the same for myself. They're great role models. That's the point of the story. Yep. yep, Even was. through difficult times mm-hmm. they understand.
0: No, no, that's good and you've got, yeah, you have a lot to learn from that as well. Yeah. Um, I, I I, too am from a so-called broken family. My parents divorced after I finished university oh my <laughs> as an adult i had already migrated to cyprus that must be so bizarre was it that was like- bizarre it was bizarre because like i'd moved out of home well and truly started my own life i was with a girl who I was engaged to at the time i mean like, i was a full-blown adult i was in my i was i was close to 30 you know and then they, oh they were, my. it almost felt comical it's like really now <laughs> what's the point on the other hand kudos to them Kudos mm-hmm. to them for doing it because, okay, one part of me is like, well, maybe they should have done it earlier. They might have been happier earlier. But you know, what? I'm also happy that they made the decision and did it. I feel like They're both happy now. You know, and, and I love them both as parents. They get along well. They you know, can be in the same party together, same movie. It's fantastic. And I learned from that as well. Okay, I'm not divorced. I'm, I'm still happily married. and I've got three kids. I mean, but there are lessons learned. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll wait till my kids are old enough. I'm just kidding. But
1: I'm <laughs> like... Well, here's you, the thing. If we stop looking at divorce as a failure, Mm -hmm. a lot of people could avoid a lot of hurtful feelings.
0: Totally agree with you. And I think this is why in a lot of cultures, divorce rates, everyone talks about divorce rates in a negative way. Yeah. I think it's, you might want to replace the word divorce with correction rates. Mm -hmm. As in like, you know, okay. (laughs) Look, I I like to believe that most people, if it's captured early enough, you can mend relationships. Mm -hmm. You can but sometimes there are some relationships just should not have started to begin with,
1: or they run their course. Or they've
0: run their course. They've run their course, and that's okay.
1: It should be okay.
0: It is okay. I mean, exactly. I, yeah, and and if it's not okay, well, there's <laughs> a lot of work you need to do.
1: And there's something to be said about the fact that divorce rates are rising because we're living longer. There's, <laughs> I mean, I yeah, remember a statistic, something yeah. that. In the 1990s, the average uh, lifespan, to use that term loosely, of a marriage was like something like I don't remember the exact um, time period, but my point remains was 15 years. Mm-hmm. But the average lifespan of a marriage in the 1400s was 15 years. Yeah, because so people they died. Were dead. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so they didn't have the opportunity to have the divorce.
0: grievances develop over the. It years. was a different thing. Yeah. That's also, we have to be fair that we live in a more comfortable era as well, where we have everything at our hand. So we can make, we're not women, if I'm to, to, to use an example, women aren't in our society bounded to their men as they are.
1: It's easier to be independent. Yes. There are much more, yes. there are many more avenues for independence, both yeah. for men and for women, yeah. which makes the idea of marriage not only less appealing, but less necessary.
0: Also, when we look at it from a religious perspective, as, as our societies become more and more secular, the religious aspect of the taboo of divorce is watering away.
1: Also, the religious aspect of the necessity of marriage is also being watered away at the same time. God
0: rate. forbid, and you're going to start telling me now that people can live together without being married? <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. We're a country, I mean, a lot of people don't know this, but it was after I moved to Cyprus, it was after 2006, that the church banned engagements. Oh my God! Because people were getting engaged and then, heaven forbid, were having sex, as if they weren't doing it before they were engaged. Oh my! So the theory <laughs> of the church was that your engagement would happen the same day as your marriage. So that's why the church service for the wedding takes longer now, because you, they would engage you. I, don't know to say, I didn't know engage
1: that. Engage
0: it and then you get married the same day. So basically, you're engaged for a minute, and then you're married. And this was because the Orthodox Church decided that too many people were having extra uh, pre-marriage sex mm-hmm. because they were engaged and thought, well, that's good enough.
1: Mm-hmm. And in
0: the old days, here in Cyprus, we were a little bit more advanced than the Greeks, for example. We were indeed treating engagement as an opportunity for pre- couples to move in together. So mm-hmm. a lot of my parents' generation, once they were engaged, would move in together.
1: Like which a trial run.
0: Almost like a trial well, run. A, um, uh, the trial run may have been the, I don't know the word in English, the loyazmata, the, the, the promise. Okay. So Aww. it was originally the promise. Aww. yeah that's a really pretty yeah. way so to say it. Yeah, I know. But see, this is the thing now that I've noticed that our generation now are doing the promise, the loyazmata, the promise, in exchange for the engagement. So mm. basically, I don't go to the, the church. Hartomata. <laughs> the hartomata. The hartomata, the, the, the papering. The <laughs> How would you translate
1: in English? I don't know, but it's basically what that's it's exactly that. This is what you're gonna get from the mother's family. Yeah, when, the, on the, paper, the,
0: the dowry agreement.
1: And this is what you're gonna get from the father's family. It's on paper, the yeah. hertomada. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's true. Yeah, really. Wow,
1: it's the prenup, is what it is. <laughs> <The> pre-
0: <laughs> <laughs> and your prenup is still a taboo, even though it's it's something okay. we have heard that we just never called a prenup. But it's what we it's what it is. It's exactly what it is. Oh, come on, um, <laughs> they just don't say. In the event of a divorce, it's just this is what's yours, this is what's mine, mm-hmm. without the phrase "in the event of a divorce." This is what you get, mm-hmm. yeah But um, the, the, the like you're right. Other than the divorce rates going up because we are living longer, we're getting obviously married and then living longer, so the marriage lasts longer if they last longer. But um, also, what you said, less people marrying but co living, cohabitating parenting together without even getting married Mm -hmm. what 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 is what is marriage i mean it's a religious construct right
1: well to a certain extent it is but this is also a problem because it is a religious construct but i do feel a little bit and i might be conservative in this aspect but there's a lot to be said about the symbolism of things Mm -hmm. and by throwing out Religion as a necessary tenet to success to a thriving society, mm-hmm. you throw out a lot of the symbolic mm-hmm. rituals that we developed over thousands of years that we need, yeah. so for instance, baptism mm-hmm. it's not just dunking a baby in a, a bowl of water and watching him cry it's uh although it's fun, I mean sure uh, yeah, <laughs> they need to know their place sure. <laughs> But, uh, <laughs> get them while <all> they <laughs> But, um, it's everybody that you know mm-hmm. coming together and saying, This baby is one of us. This is us symbolically putting this baby in our community and making it one of us and helping it.
0: Would you say it's almost like a religious hazing?
1: A little, a little bit. Well, a little bit, <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> they do that. They do yeah. circumcision rites and stuff like that, or rites of manhood or rites of womanhood, which the, Which the most important part of it is um, the community bearing witness to you becoming one of us. And it's just, we're going to take care of you. And the Mm -hmm. same with marriage. Um, There's something to be said about standing in front of everybody you know Mm -hmm. and saying, I'm going to take care of this other person. This other person is going to take care of me. It's a promise with huge symbolic heft Mm -hmm. that when the times get really hard in a marriage, you remember it. Yep. And also the people who stood there remembered and said, hold on, we said we're going to be here for you. Yeah. And we're here.
0: So basically what you're, what I would describe it as, humans mm. in general like patterns, they like structure, they like we're a social being. Sorry. We
1: like symbols and we like stories. Yes,
0: and we like getting from A to B, from Alpha to Omega, sure, via w- a certain set pathway. Also that, yeah. Yeah. Now... That's not to detract from the fact that indeed you can live permanently with someone without standing in front of everyone and doing the marriage. But you're right, it is some kind of, it's, it's a cultural event that symbolizes the tying of two people. Now, we're maybe doing it less and less in church and we're doing it more and more in town halls, for example, mm-hmm. But the concept is still the same. It's that public promise. It's that public admission to the club. It's that public Mm -hmm. call for support.
1: Funerals is the other thing. So you can't, in Cyprus, avoid the church for three instances in your life. Baptism, marriage, and funeral. You got to. You got to go through the church. Well, by law. Yeah. You have to be buried still. And um, I mean, you can have a civil marriage, but it also has to be recognized by the church still, doesn't it? I don't know. My parents did. They had I to have both.
0: Do. I think you can just do civil marriage.
1: Maybe, but I remember back in yeah. like thirty years ago, at least my parents they had a they had a civil marriage in the states, but they had to do a marriage in a church.
0: Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think that I
1: could be wrong. I stand to be corrected,
0: but um, I think you can just have a civil marriage now, mm-hmm. um, or a civil partnership was the law that we have now. Um, but yeah, without the church. But you're right. When it comes to funerals.
1: Funerals, you have to get baptized, or at least, um, you have to formally, you know, decree your religion on a, on, on paper and stuff like that. Yeah. And, um, it is a load of, I mean, I don't know if we can curse here. I'm not gonna, it's a load of, you know what? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you throw out that institutional, um, oversight you also throw out the symbolism of a baptism you throw out the symbolism of a marriage but you also introduce
0: levels of anarchy that as an entire population we're not ready for
1: i don't think i don't think anybody's ever going to be ready for and i do agree with questioning these types of things Mm -hmm. and their validity but we're still at the stage as a society where we've rejected these things but we haven't come up with any decent alternatives so (laughs) i think it leads a little bit to a lot of people feeling lonely
0: you're right. And again, it's a good point because humans feel lonely. It's part of our condition, it's a part of the human experience.
1: This is to make you feel less lonely, is what yeah. it is.
0: Because what are we? We are social creatures. Yeah. Humans were never designed to be, uh, I don't, uh, they live on their own. They were never designed to be hermits. It doesn't
1: work, no. It
0: doesn't work. I mean, have a look at the people that have lived as hermits, or people that have been isolated on islands for years.
1: When they find them, they go crazy. Well, it's not only that, they become hermits usually because of some deep psychological trauma that they're trying to heal from. (laughs) And and what is
0: one of the worst punishments they give to people in maximum security prisons? Isolation.
1: Solitary confinement is the worst punishment you can give somebody. Yeah. 100%. And it's inhumane. Correct. It's the literal definition of inhumane.
0: We are literally spiritually and physically hardwired to be social. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's interesting. That's interesting. Um,
1: and the symbolism of that. You're, mm-hmm. So, like, really, the symbolism of a baptism. Mm-hmm. This baby, look, we all got dressed up, and we're going to eat together after this. Yeah. To, 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 this baby is ours. Food. Oh, man. It's.
0: I mean, why <laughs> is it? I'm going to use Cyprus as a textbook example now. Have you ever been to a meeting in Cyprus where coffee and snacks have been, uh, not been presented to you?
1: Can I? Let me answer your question with another question how much do you think that our overabundance of food because whenever we sit down to eat it's always too much it's a stupid amount has to do with the trauma of war
0: i think a lot a lot i it's interesting i've had this discussion with people in the past um the trauma of war and this uh need to ensure that you are fed and that Mm. i'm supplying oh my god But it's become so ingrained, we don't even know where it comes from anymore.
1: Yeah, I think so.
0: Because our previous generation was not eating as much.
1: They didn't have as much to eat. (laughs) But the thing I mean, pre-war,
0: pre-war, it was... Yeah, they had their weddings, yeah, they had their social functions or whatever, and there was food. But it was
1: meat every 40 days or something Mm -hmm. like Mm -hmm. that, yeah. Now we do meat every... Every Every night, yeah. But um, I remember one of the biggest shocks when we moved back to Cyprus from the Mm -hmm. States and... Of course, we got a, a house next to my grandparents' house. <laughs> Basically, my grandparents had two houses and they moved from the big house where they raised six kids to the auxiliary house so they can be close to us. Then we got back. And my grandmother, she would every day after school, she You have to come eat with us. And I would tell her, Hey, <laughs> oh, you have to leave me alone. And she's like, No, you have to come. And I wouldn't go. And she would sneak into the house and leave just way too much food on the kitchen table <laughs> just in, and it like i'm mean, and it was so bizarre to me but i'm understanding it now as yeah. the ultimate sign of caring for someone it's
0: a, it's a sign of love it's a sign of hospitality yeah i mean like i for me <laughs> I grew up in Melbourne, okay, and I got used to coming and going from Cypriot, Italian, Greek, Bulgarian, Yugoslav households, Lebanese households, Turkish households. It was always food, 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 food. Eat, 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 (laughs) eat. So it would come as a surprise to me when I would go to an Anglo-Saxon house and And there wouldn't be be food on the table. There would maybe be a coffee. But it was about the actual catching up and talking. It wasn't um, about the food. Yeah. And it used to puzzle me. It used to blow my mind. Like, how, how? Wait. Where's the food? Where's the snack? Where's the tiropita? Where's the spanagopita? Like, what's going on here? You know, I, yeah. I couldn't comp- I couldn't process it. Yeah. And now <laughs> I find myself... Because, I mean, as as Mediterranean European as I felt in Melbourne, here in, here in Cyprus, I find myself feeling very Australian. Where... I'm doing things where I'm, I guess we'll come over and I'm forgetting to offer coffee or I'm forgetting to pull out the snacks because I've gone straight into dialogue.
1: You've yeah. touched upon something really interesting in that if you're uh, a member of the diaspora, mm-hmm. if you're in a foreign country as a stranger, you feel your identity more, yes. almost to a comical level. <laughs> you comical identify. Level. So like one thing, when we lived in New Jersey, we yeah. would go to church every Sunday. Yeah. I mean, we would go five minutes before it was over. So just so we could go to Get the basement the, after <laughs> and have coffee and snacks. But I would also go to Greek school three yeah. times a week. and Three
0: times a week? Oh, yeah. Oh, you poor thing. We just had a Saturday morning.
1: Oh, no, no, no. I learned Greek, buddy. And, <laughs> and um, you know, hang out with other Greeks. It was the core of our group, a uh, group of friends. And we were Greek, you know, yeah. a Greek Cypriot or Greek. And... Um, when we move back to Cyprus, we can go to church not once. Yeah, yeah. Never again. It matter anymore. <laughs> because it's there if you want it. Exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, I, I so <laughs> I'll give you an example of something that happened a couple years ago. So my wife is from my wife's father's from Beristerona in Bafos. Okay? okay. The neighboring village of Lisos. Really pretty most of yeah, most of the villagers have moved to South Africa at some stage, can oh, and a wow. lot of them have moved back to Cyprus. So, on the 15th of August, they have this massive... They got bendavus, the 15th of August festival. And it is as kitchen ethnic as it gets. Oh, okay? my God. I, it's a banagiri. It's a carnival. Okay, And so, I went along with the, my wife's family. And they were all there. They ate, didn't think much of it. And I got all emotional hearing all this old music, all this traditional dance. The dacha dance with the... Yeah, the, yeah, you know. yeah. And... My family, my in-laws were going, why are you getting so emotional? I'm like, I feel so Australian right now. And they're like, what are you talking about? I'm oh going, my
1: God, going, correct.
0: This all reminds me of Australia. None of this reminds me of Cyprus. All of this reminds me of Australia. And they were laughing. and I've gone because dacha, um, resi, souvlaki being you know, cooked live uh-huh. in front of you. All of this reminded me of Australia. Mm. you know not i mean listening to all listening to Metropanos and, and these. we it, 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 become
1: so. caricatures of greeks when we're in the diaspora <laughs> which is Just, fine because yeah. you need to hold on to something it, it yeah. goes back to talking about you know how much you need to belong yeah and um if you're aware you belong you don't yeah. feel it as much yeah but i in new jersey mm. i remember coming home uh the night before easter sunday my parents had invited everyone over, and in the bathtub, I couldn't take a bath because my dad had a whole dead goat. <laughs> and I was like, what is... We never did it again. We only did it when we were living in New Jersey and Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. But when we moved back, we never had... A, like. We never did... But my dad, he said, we have to do this because... What we have to do so, this? <laughs> so we have to put the garlic in the goat and stuff it and da-da-da-da and make everything and then dig a hole in the backyard for the coal, and yeah. then... Not with the with the motor. We had to turn it by hand because somehow that made us more that Greek. made you more authentic. I don't know. <laughs> and he had uh, suitcases of cassette tapes that he had, um, <laughs> you know, he recorded on the radio when he was back in Greece of yeah. uh, Dalaras, Savopoulos. He was from Thessaloniki, so he loved Savopoulos and... Um, Greek new wave because he did it in the eighties. So pouloupoulos and stuff yeah, like yeah. that, <laughs> and anyway, that's all we would listen to in the car. But when we came to Cyprus, <laughs> all of a sudden it was uh, Santana, Van Morrison, yeah, yeah, yeah. and all the stuff that he had heard when he was in the states. It's like in the Cyprus, same. I listen to Kiss FM because it's all in English.
0: Yeah, and then when I'm in Australia, I'm listening to um, 3XY or whatever, which are the Greek stations. The reason I'm bringing it up
1: is because we came to Cyprus, stayed five years, and then moved again to London and Brussels. And on the bus rides to school, I would listen to Greek music on my iPod. And I tell Mm. you, when I hear Greek music, it reminds me of Brussels. It doesn't remind me of Greece in the slightest. Greece, I was listening to Nirvana and Pearl Jam and stuff to feel more American or whatever. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah.
0: It's interesting. It's it's funny how... This double—it's almost like a double minority, isn't it? You come here and you suddenly become Australian or British or, Brazilian or whatever. I was
1: never the thing of like of where I was. So yeah. in the states, I was the Greek kid in Cyprus. I was the American kid yeah. in uh, in Brussels in London. Again, I was the uh, Cypriot or Greek kid. Yeah. And when I went to Brown first to study in the states, everybody called me Belgium. Because I came from Brussels. That was the last place I did high school. And I was like, what are you t-? How am I Belgian? <laughs> you speak French or European? I'm like, no, dude. <laughs> Everybody called me Belgium. That was my nickname. It was strange. Actually, yeah, um, in the
0: States, I was having a good time a couple of months back. They were asking you, where are you from? I you know, how do I answer this? Like, you know, I'm from Cyprus, but I'm Australian. I uh, grew up in Australia. And they're looking at you, you know, like you visually don't look like what they think an Australian looks like. You know, they think blonde, blue-eyed. They think, sure. Basically, they think Anglo-Saxon. Okay. Sure. And so they hear your voice. They hear you speaking Australian. They're like, what the hell's going on here? And what is this Cyprus? Is that near Australia? Is it like, you know, th- there was this fella. I've got to say this story. It was this. Uh, I was in um, um Napa Valley. And I've parked outside a winery that I had an appointment to for a wine tasting. Cypress,
1: Texas. They probably thought it was. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> but there was this
0: guy. There was this. Guy, just to just to give you an idea of how uncommon it was for someone to know what Cypress was, there was this Korean American. He walks up to my car, and I'm expecting to hear this Korean accent. This full American voice comes out. Goes how many how many miles to the gallon? Do you get on that. And it was a rental car. I had no idea. I wouldn't even know if it was my car, you know. And I've got, I've got no idea where. And he hears my accent. He goes, oh, "Where are you from?" And I've gone, "Well, I'm from Australia, but I uh, live in Cyprus." And I'm thinking, "Here we go." He's going to say something like Cyprus, Texas, Cyprus, Florida. You know, where's Cyprus? And he's gone, "Cyprus. Wow, that's fascinating. I plan to go there." What? And I thought, "Sure Who's you do. Sure you do." I'm thinking, "Like you've confused it with, I don't know, Sicily or Sardinia or something." And I've gone really, you know, really arrogantly. I've looked at him like, "You're yeah, really sure?" Okay. He goes, "Yeah, my mate lives in Limassol, and my other friend yeah. is in Nicosia." I'm like, "What are you talking about? <laughs> this is Korean guy in Napa Valley, California." You know. Mm-hmm. And I thought, and I and I suddenly, I all of I, I instantly became this uber Cypriot guy. I'm like, right, this is what you're going to do. You're going <laughs> to come to me, but you're going to And I said that told him everything. All of a sudden, Australia was a thing of the past, you know? Like, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was just bizarre. And, and again, he was a Korean-American. So I was like, it was just the world. It's Korean. another thing about
1: the accent. Because mm. I speak with an American accent. So I think the way you sound really, it's what we were talking about earlier about speaking Cypriot Greek. The mm. way you sound when you speak it, Um, I mean, it's a signal for belonging more than anything else. And um, yeah, so your surprise when you heard that he was Korean American um, matches the surprise of a lot of people when they hear that you're a Cypriot. Yeah. But you have an Australian accent. And it's that idea of how you sound really signifies to everybody else who you belong to.
0: We have it's confusing. Some, we have we belong to a lot of different things, and they're all interchangeable. They all interact. Our identity—we have multiple identities, and that's—I want to say it's a blessing, but I also think it's a curse.
1: We, as in everybody, or are the two people in this room, everybody.
0: Everybody, but especially us. Maybe. I mean, I'm more interested. I'm being selfish now. It's me and you. Right? Okay, yeah, like we sure. have multiple personalities. I mean, yeah, and it's.
1: And they're all just as valid as each other. Oh, I'm going to interrupt you really quickly <laughs> just to add to this. I went to uh, international schools when we moved for high school. Mm. And everybody at school spoke with their completely generic uh, American, slightly British accent. You know, yeah. the absence of an accent accent. Yeah, yeah. And then Olympic English. Yes, yeah. Olympic English. And then they would go home or their parents would call. And if you're from Kenya... The Kenyan came out. <laughs> if you were from Britain, hello daddy, nice to see you. I missed you so much. That's like when I'm talking to my dad.
0: Yeah. When I talk to him, my dad has the most Australian accent. I mean he was six years old when he went. So yeah. when I talk to dad, I'm like, Oh hi dad, how you going? Oh, everything's all right? Yeah, you're okay. And people looking at me like, What the hell was that? Yeah. But then when I'm talking to my brother, my Melbourneian ethnic accent kicks in. So it's like, Oh, what are you doing? You're right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> like it's like Yep.
1: If I don't feel like having to explain myself when I speak to someone in English in Cyprus, I just turn on the Cypriot accent to get it over with. So, so they don't. So I don't have to deal with the questions and they just think <laughs> I'm Cypriot. If it's somebody at the Peripteros, Pumen and I have to speak in English, I just, you know. It's interesting because I had an experience
0: when I first moved here, I used to smoke. okay, And I went to a kiosk and I wanted to buy a packet of Lucky Strike. Lucky Strike. Lucky Strike. Lucky
1: Strike. Yes, of course. And so
0: I've gone in as an Australian, <laughs> I've gone, can I have a pack of lucky, sh- can I have a, a pack of lucky Strike? He's gone, what? No, lucky Strike. what is this lucky Strike? <laughs> ah, lucky Strike. Lucky Strike. Lucky Strike. No, no. And he's looking at me, are you some kind of foreigner? You're like, you're a Xen or you're some kind of foreigner? I'm like, yes. <laughs> ah. And then he he then began to berate me on how to properly pronounce Lucky Strike, which according to him was Lucky
1: Strike. Exactly. I'm like, you're going to be kidding me. (laughs) The way you sound makes you belong.
0: Yeah. No, it's very very true. Yeah. But um, look, I do... Growing up in Melbourne, we were always told... You're blessed to be Cypriot or Greek or Italian, but you're also 100% Australian, okay? Because at the end of the day, there is no such thing as an Australian. So we are all Australian.
1: There is such thing as an Australian. Even but the, even them, they're, 60, they're Indonesian. <laughs> or How are you? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. But I mean, like, is Papua New Guinean like, and they're, then. they the first yeah. Australians.
0: They're the yes. first Australians. Yes. 60,000 years of first Australians, mm-hmm. correct. Um, but you know, you're first and foremost anything. Yeah. It doesn't mean you're not you are not Australian over Italian or Greek over Cypriot. Or whatever. Like you, you, you can be everything and you can be 100% of each of these things. Now, we were always taught that this was a blessing. I remember at Greek school, you know, be so proud to be Greek. You're 100% Greek. Be so proud, but you're also blessed with being an Australian <laughs> and living in Australia. In other words, you know, there's a reason why we all migrated to Australia. We're not going to forget that. <laughs> you know, so we're very yeah. happy to be in Australia, but, but you know what? You're also Greek. Um, the, we want to live the best life of both. Yeah. Um however, as I get older and older, I start realizing that this blessing is also a curse because you have two harms or in your case multiple harms. Um I, I'm nostalgic for Melbourne, but then when I'm in Melbourne, I'm nostalgic for Cyprus, you know.
1: And that um this feeling of not knowing where you should be or mm-hmm. what you should be doing is especially difficult for people who moved around a lot. Yeah. And going back to the kids, one of the only times I don't have that feeling is when I'm with my kid. That's the biggest difference. As I finally feel like, okay, this is exactly where I'm supposed to be. That's your grounding. That's your, um, your lightning rod. More than rod. anything else. It's your lightning rod. Yeah, yeah more than anything else. Yeah. So, and, you know, with my family, um, and I'm very close with my family. My mother's brothers came to live with us when they were studying in the States. So they were like older brothers to me. Three out of the five lived with us. And, you know, we're so, so close. I have like four dads basically, but the it doesn't matter where you are. If you're with those people, that's the biggest thing I learned from moving is I'm not Cypriot. I'm not Greek. I'm Cypriot or Greek. Or whatever, to the extent that my parents are, to the extent that their parents are. But it's more important. More important than anything is I'm my parents and my parents are mine. And it gets confusing. It gets difficult because if you move around a lot and something goes bad where you are, like if I have a bad week in Cyprus, I was like, I should move to Texas and like, get the <laughs> fuck out of here. But my dad lives in Texas. Okay. Okay. Or I should move back to Brussels. I could, I can. And I start fantasizing about it and I want to leave and Cyprus and like, cause, the question is open for me, yeah. and the only time it isn't is when I'm with my kid, mm-hmm. and that's the biggest gift.
0: That's interesting because um, for me, I have a similar thought pattern. The difference in my case is that I could, as things stand now, up my family and move them to Melbourne because you're a unit. Yes, yes yeah, yeah. I couldn't possibly fathom what it would be like if it wasn't the case. Certainly, I will be wherever the heck my kids are.
1: Mm. Um, yep, and I'm here. Yeah, for that specific reason. When I came back to Cyprus, it was to start my artistic career. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't the Halloween? No. Well, it was. No, it was. Well, it was a little bit. I didn't know where I belonged, mm-hmm. and my parents had recently broken up. Mm-hmm. I had studied in the states. I had studied in Sweden. I had worked in Holland, and then I was like, okay, I can't. Somewhere has to be home, and I said, I'm homesward.' At least one of my parents is. And so I came back here. And I was like, okay, I'm going to stay. I'm going to build up my career. And then, you know, being the we see. cosmopolitan man that I am, I'm going to bounce at some point and leave. And and the kid came incredibly unexpectedly. But it was a blessing because it removed the option mm-hmm. to leave. I had realized at some point in my life that I would only stay at some some place Two years, one year, three years—you can run away from yourself mm-hmm. if you're constantly moving, and never it never catches up with you. Yeah, and that's—I mean, so um, it stopped me from doing that. It was good, I guess.
0: <laughs> no, no, it is. It is. good. at the end of the day, I mean, you have so many years ahead of you too. Because I mean, like in in. God, God willing, 30, sure. No, t- touch wood. But 12, 13 years time from now, when she will be an adult, when she will go off to study, probably. Mm-hmm. And depending on how you feel, then you do have the option
1: to. <laughs> the thing I say to myself to console myself is: until she's twelve, she definitely needs me here. <laughs> but I know that when she turns twelve, I'm gonna. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It, it, that's just. It's just something I say to myself to keep. That door opened in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? No, no,
0: they, 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 it's comforting. It's, it's it, what it is. It, it, it's comforting. Look, Dimitri, I can't thank you enough for your time. and. Uh, oh, this was fun. It. How long have yeah. we been talking? Well, let's not talk about that.
1: All
0: right, sure. <laughs> no, no. no, no, it's been great talking to you, and um, I do want to talk again with you in the um, near future. Well, we back. Be,
1: I'm going to actually have to interview you for the art project, so oh, that's great. happening soon, <laughs> whenever you're free thank you thank you very thank much you. for
0: that no no I do want to thank you um for your time for sharing some of your personal thoughts and uh, sensitive issues and um, I think it's important for men to talk because uh, we don't have a lot of um discussions in Cyprus in the mainstream where men and men talk with other men and discuss these issues
1: um yeah yeah, yeah. um and it's a problem
0: no it's a huge problem and I mean Look, well, toxic masculinity runs rife in our culture, around the world, but especially in our culture. Here in sure. The yeah. And it is good to chip away at that because, quite frankly, it doesn't make you any less or more a man or whatever you want. You know, like it's it's about the human experience. It's about being human. It's about being a top person. It's about being a good father, a good son, yeah. partner, friend, whatever. You know, like that's what it's all about, right?
1: Yeah. yeah. And I, I think you'll find once you open up, it's incredibly rewarding It is. through my artwork Mm -hmm. that i i do a lot of different things but i deal with a lot of these personal things very openly and at first i was scared to do it but what ends up happening is people really talk to you when you open up to be spoken to and i mean speaking of wanting to belong what could be better
0: exactly Dimitri, thank you very much. Thank you. And just uh, want to thank one more time our sponsors, Limoncello and the CVAR Center of Visual Arts and Research, the Cervantes Foundation.
1: CVR is literally my sponsor.
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, it's a double sponsor today. But, you know, thank you. Thank you for tuning into Terra Nalia Cyprus. Thank you. The first trilingual podcast station of Cyprus Island Talks. Open, diverse, free.